0: Welcome to episode 48 of the Rapid Change Matters podcast, a conversation with Barcelona-based change worker, Ryan Jenkins. My name's Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, Or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm chatting with top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I've got big news. Rapid Change Works is now running live training events, and you can check out the latest events coming up by visiting rapidchange.works, where you can also download a free, quick-to-read PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, along with all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. After years of intense fascination, deep study and practice in the art of meditation, self-hypnosis, NLP, coaching and a whole host of other psychological modalities, today's guest joins us all the way from Barcelona, where alongside helping people create profound personal transformations, he continues to explore the boundary of what's possible in performance, coaching and therapy. Ryan Simbi Jenkins joins us today and I'm excited to chat with him about All Things Change, and also looking forward to hearing more about the personal experience that ignited his passion in this field. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan.
1: Thank you so much, Howard.
0: Well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Um, it really is. And hoping, as always, uh, that we can jump straight in and hear a little bit more about who you are, what you do. And really, I'm curious about how you got started in all of this.
1: Well, um, so my I've lived in nine countries. I'm I've, I'm a traveler. Not uh, I've spent most of my life sort of on the road because my parents were. Uh, my mother was a medical anthropologist, and uh, my dad was a photographer and uh, a musician. And um, the first part of my my first part of my life was spent in Papua New Guinea, from around uh, until. 12 or 13, I live, I was born and raised in New Guinea, and my mm. mother, my mother um, discovered, uh, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, discovered a, uh, a tribe living in uh, the, the Stone Age, an indigenous tribe that was out in the middle of the jungle, and um, I spent a lot of time uh, with them and saw different kinds of shamanic or kind of trance, what you might call trance work at a very young age. Um, and so that that was always you know in the back of my mind. And, and as I traveled um, and studied, became a professional musician and studied music, I always had an interest in, in altered states, in the kinds of effects that come with meditation and uh, self-hypnosis, but it wasn't until I had a personal crisis back around when I was around 19 years old um, in conservatory, when I was focused exclusively on becoming a, a performer, mu- music performer. I'm, I'm a bassist and, mm-hmm. and I'm playing music. And I injured myself during a particularly stressful period of time. And so I had a physical... Uh, Injury on my finger um, that basically s- s- stopped my stopped my education, stopped my career for um, for around a year and a half. And so I moved to Barcelona and and started a period of physical rehabilitation. And during that time, nothing was working. And uh, I had one session. To with a gentleman uh, to help me quit smoking. Um, I was a heavy, quite a heavy smoker. Um, I had also previously, you know, a couple of years, a few years before, had begun practicing meditation, and was quite skeptical of of hypnosis. I, I had no no idea what it was. Um, clinical hypnotherapy was not on my radar at all. Um, and so yeah i had this session and you know in in about 45 minutes i was a non-smoker and remained remained so for you know all of these years wow so it was really amazing and and i i said well there's something here and and so i from that moment on that was like you know throwing petrol right on the on the on the fire you know and that that really that really ignited my curiosity about about this, these modalities, and 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 that was the the real the real push.
0: Hmm. How many people do you think come uh, and enter this kind of world of change because they've had a moment very personal to them where they were convinced in the efficacy?
1: I think a good majority mm-hmm. of people. Uh, I wouldn't say everyone because I certainly know. Great change work practitioners that not not exactly had that kind of work on themselves done, although although um, they they certainly do some sort of practice, they certainly have some sort of experiential understanding of it. Um, I think a great majority of effective practitioners, let's say, uh, really have experienced some sort of personal change because indeed it's not something that um, you just kind of had a have a passing interest in and that becomes your your career it's something that really really speaks to you on a a profound level and and so i I know certainly in my case that was um that was the case
0: so tell us about your journey from you know this experience that you had into working with people uh, and the, some of the training that you did, and uh, and what it is specifically you help people with now.
1: So, I was working as a language trainer. So basically, teaching English, teaching business English to uh, corporations here in in Spain, and and doing and on the side teaching uh, teaching base, teaching and, and working with performers. Something I'm, I'm still very passionate about although i don't uh, i don't have so much time to do it um but i came across the understanding that you know so many of these performers these people had very similar issues around what might be called stage fright or public speaking you know fear of public speaking and and things that um Things that were obviously getting in the way of their ability to perform perfectly, and and so there was certainly something in the in standing in the way of that, and and so I heard somebody say, "Wow, you know, this NLP stuff, you know, might be might be the way forward, might be something that you should look into." And being you know intensely curious and and the um, having had this experience, I read uh, I read. Um, one of the I read Frogs to Princes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which was really dense. And um, but you know one of the seminal seminal works, the NLP works, and and somebody said, you know, this is the one that you should read. Um, and and I said, well, there's something happening here. And and so I just started experimenting using some of the principles. Um, I then I then did a I did did a a course. Um, it was a home study course, Igor Ledakowski's uh, conversational hypnosis home study course, mm-hmm. which is a um, famous, you know, best-selling course in which he brings together principles of NLP and Ericksonian stuff and into really, really great learning experience. And so I did that course, and I followed it, and I did all the exercises and just began using some of the principles of uh, indirect suggestion and um modality shifts and different things with these students with these clients and seeing massive changes and it was it was a you know diving head first into this world and and so i said well look um, i really enjoy this work it's something that really speaks to me people are getting great value from this. It's really something that, it's something that, you know, all the students and my, you know, my sort of, what would you say, performance coaching clients at that time, which were mainly musicians, um, were getting immense value from. And I wanted to get trained properly. I wanted to do, like, a proper training. You know, here in Spain, uh, there's, there's, there's really, there are people that do, nlp trainings and you know guest speakers but there was nothing in english that was of anything you know to speak of and i did a lot of research i went i spent about six months doing intensive research into what would have been you know so all of the courses all of the different practitioners and i came across uh, this this guy called adam eason who is you know now someone who i would count as a good friend and an incredible practitioner and um, he was doing trainings in the uk and so i traveled over a period of a year um you know to the uk and a couple times and and spent some intensive days and and weeks training with adam there in uh, in bournemouth where he has a school and did uh did NLP training with him and did hypnotherapy training with him, um, practitioner training. And in a period, in that period, I think, uh, got really schooled experientially on what the difference is between someone that, uh, that has a perfunctory sort of book, book training or even the sort of home training and what would be intensive hands-on training, but highly recommended. Mm. Uh, that was my the best training that I've had today. Although I have trained with others, I would say still hands down the best training that I've had, and um, and really sort of prepared me for working as a as a professional. Hypnotherapist, you know, sort of a boots on the ground sort of sort of guy, um, and so that was the the experience that the most uh, sort of informs my my work today, still to this day. I'm
0: curious as to whether you think there are lots of schools of hypnosis or trainings that you can do in hypnosis that really don't prepare you for seeing real clients with a sense of um, credibility.
1: Well, absolutely, and and that was something that I that I keenly became aware of as soon as I would had training that was, that was actually, that was in depth and clear and and ethically sound and um, had a lot of emphasis on client-based therapy, and I keenly became aware that there were all of these other trainings that were five-day trainings, six-day training, that at the end of you'd get a certificate and off you go. And seemingly without a lot of experience, a lot of support. And, you know, that was very worrying and still is very worrying, actually, I have to say, um, to see that there's a great training industry that. More about uh, the business of training rather than creating great good uh, good therapy.
0: If we move on uh, a second, Ryan, and you know, cut to to now, and you've been working with people for uh, years now, um, and as you know, this is the, the rapid change uh, matters podcast. I'm curious as to, could you tell us a couple of real examples uh, where you've seen people and you have witnessed rapid change?
1: One of the greatest things that you know, I regularly see is examples of the, the, the fast phobia cure or, or something similar to it or um, the rewind technique um, which is something that uh, that's taught by by Mark Tyrrell mm-hmm. and and Co and you know I've I've used that that particular process with people and have seen you know within half an hour, 45 minutes, um a, a change in physical sort of subjective understanding of distress, but also onward, you know, without very much reinforcement. Flying phobia is gone in one session. I've seen things like that, which is very sort of classic, you know, what people say, wow, this is a this is quite a quite a a good good sign for, for rapid change. So this is things that I've seen I've seen uh, uh, smokers, you know, smokers are generally quite difficult, um, I think,
0: mm-hmm. but,
1: um, you know, I've seen rapid single session smoking change, which is something that a lot of people argue against. That's still one of the greatest changes that I've seen, you know, as a terrible and addiction and destructive an addiction that as that is, you know, people that have gone from, you know, smoking for 40 years, um, to simply stopping, Mm -hmm. And remaining non-smokers for for long periods of time, and and I do follow up on on, all my clients. That's something I I do offer follow up, and that's one of the one of the greatest, still some of the greatest changes that I've seen. So,
0: well, for sure, and I think that the thing about rapid change is it's not just important, um, a a conversation to have around. You know, can things be done quicker than perhaps the five hundred to six hundred hours of Freudian therapy? Um, but it's also whether it lasts or not. Um, otherwise, if it doesn't last, it's just almost like a parlour trick.
1: Some of the trainings give the impression that everything should be extremely quick. Mm-hmm. Everything should be, um, you know, it's it's like uh, pressing a button, you do this technique, and you get this particular uh, response. And um, unfortunately, that's not always the case. And, uh, you know, some things which are supposedly very very easy are not so easy and some things which don't seem particularly easy are so um i think uh i think you know it it comes down to a lot of other factors as well besides the techniques being
0: implemented so i'm curious to explore that with you in a little more detail but but just so we don't divert too far off the, the, the beaten track at this stage, how would you define rapid change? What what does rapid mean for you?
1: It can mean instantly, mm-hmm. possibly, um, but it can also mean you know um, relatively rapid. So it could mean over the course of three sessions, four sessions, a positive therapeutic outcome is is reached to the. To the assessment, to the agreement of um, both client and therapist. So, um, you know, as you, you, you mentioned the 600 session Freudian uh, model, yes. um, which which actually seems more like an exploratory model. It seems more like a um, like a method of personal development rather than for positive sort of uh, therapeutic change um you know and so i could i would say rapid change for me is anywhere from instant in one session to 3 to 4 sessions and and that's rapid change maybe more maybe less i i i rarely tell clients you know how uh, how many sessions a particular issue may may take to be resolved but the, the fact is is that um expectation plays a big Big part in it i do believe that and 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 so if you say to a client that you know it may take as many as four sessions that creates the expectation that it may not even take four sessions and and so that that is rapid
0: for me a really interesting thing to to play around with and explore which is how do you set about managing the client's expectation, so the, the, the moment they ring you or get in touch with you and say, I've got issue X, Y, Z going on. On the one hand, you want to be able to set some positive expectations about that, hey, this may, might be possible, and it might be possible to do it rapidly, Yeah. but without necessarily, and I'm guessing here, but without over-promising, hey, guess what? You're going to come in, and half an hour later, you're going to leave, and it's definitely guaranteed 100% going to be gone.
1: Absolutely. Um, I do. I do believe it. It depends on the issue, and it depends on um, on the person at the end of the telephone. So, for for certain things, I like to set expectations because um, I I believe in the methods. I believe in the client, and I believe in the possibility of change. Um, and if they're honest with me and and everything is above board, and we have a very clear goal, they can expect certain results. So one of the things that I don't, um, one of the things that, for example, for, for smoking cessation, um, I think the session begins the moment that they that you begin speaking with the person. Mm-hmm. So your tone, your inflection, um, you, your energy, how you come across uh, in the that initial conversation is going to influence the outcome of your session uh, one, two weeks later. Because, you know, if you're upbeat, setting the expectation that it's going to be easy, natural and effective, um, then that is more than likely what it's going to be. If you're saying, well, I don't know, this may take, you know, this may be really hard, um, but you'll get through it. And, uh, and you know, it's going to be, it's, it's, it's going to be painful, but, um, you know, I'll be there with you. And so there's a big difference, um, experientially in the session. So if, if I'm to choose which way to go about it, I absolutely set the expectation, um, that things are going to be smooth, easy. Um, you know, it's a method that I know. Inside and out, it's worked for many, many people, and it will work for you. I see no reason to do that now. I don't offer. I mean, fortunately, I'm not so so foolish and and you know ethically challenged to offer you know 100% guarantees on anything. Some people do, and and I think that that's uh,
0: that's unfortunate. Are you suggesting, Ryan, that you don't get a 100% success rate with all clients on all issues?
1: Oh. Yeah, this this is this is, uh, this is uh, the thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've I've had uh, had clients where I've thrown everything but the uh, the kitchen kitchen sink at them, and it hasn't worked. And it, and so I've there's there's issues that are simply beyond my my current capability, my current understanding. And so I, I do refer them on. It's part of the mystique of actually. The downside of of you know be having the mystique of rapid change is that um, it works like a cookie cutter with everyone, and you know si- simply simply not true in my mm-hmm. experience. And it's 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 been one of the the strange sort of experiences that you know certain changes um, can be rapid and powerful and for them to last you know it may take some reinforcement it may take self-efficacy training i'm very big on teaching self-hypnosis and teaching self-efficacy so that um, the client moves away from being reliant on the therapist reliant on me and and so that's something that's really really important to me
0: so if we took something and i think self-efficacy is just so important and one of the areas that i think it gets interesting is, and you've mentioned it already, stopping smoking. Mm-hmm. Because people will come, in my experience, uh, who are smokers and what they want is nothing to do with self-efficacy. What they want is someone, cause they've tried themselves and mm-hmm. they can't stop. They want someone to, you know, um, inadverted commas, wave their magic wand and just make it stop. Um, yeah so where's the where's the balance between if you explain to them their self-efficacy then are they not if it's about self-efficacy well what else, what are you doing for the for this money that i'm paying you in the in the the interventions work when actually ultimately the message here is i just got to go and do it myself
1: well it, it's interesting smoking sessions for me uh, it, it became clear to me that um it's essentially a sales process and in fact you're you're selling the person on their own health and their own and their own wellbeing when they themselves don't see that mm-hmm. and they don't. Uh, and so they have all of these ideas around, around willpower and you know, that it's going to be tough. And the thing is that if they believe in, it's going to be painful, it's going to be, um, something that they're going to have to work really, really hard at, and have a lot of willpower. Then they're not going to even attempt the uh, the process. They're not going to, you know, kind of break themselves from out enough to to actually call you. So mm. it's it's essentially a sales process. And, and the good, greatest salesman, they you know, it's sell, sell the sizzle, not the steak. Uh, you know and so you're you have to find that balance within um, what you do that you know there's going to be a particular amount of discomfort most probably um, it, it may be one day it may be a week it may be two weeks it uh, but um, you know your ability to sell them on doing a little bit of you know, relaxation or self-hypnosis or, or implementing a particular psychological technique to um, to get past sort of that hump, that first day of craving, you know, that's that's the game. So, you know, that takes a little bit of skill. That takes also understanding the the client's um, belief in willpower mm. and willpower method of, of, of quitting, because if, like if their mind is so invested in this idea of willpower and that they can't do it, that fundamentally um, they won't be able to do that, then there's fear. And that's the fear that actually stops them from quitting. Yep. So um, once you get past that hump, in my experience, it's it's smooth sailing.
0: Yeah. It's funny as well. I mean, in my experience, it matches up totally with what you're saying. Um, and I would argue as well, I would say that uh, some of the smokers I've dealt with over the years have provided some of the most interesting stories in terms of how the sessions have manifested themselves in terms of the results. Um, specifically, one guy comes to mind who was 75 years old, had been smoking since he was 13 years old, and came to see me and... I rang him a week later to see how he was getting on, and I literally, I'm, I'm going to quote exactly what he said to me. Uh, he said he went home, I thought, I would really fancy a cigarette. So I took one out, I took a drag on it, and I said to myself, that hypnosis was shit. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this is what he said, he gets." I thought to myself, I'm, i would just better stop myself then, because that hypnosis didn't work, and I put it out, and I haven't smoked since. <laughs> And, and I remember saying to him, and there was a little kick to my pride, if I'm honest, because I want, I really wanted for him to kind of have an appreciation for maybe we'd done some good work, which had led him to that state and the ability to do that. Um, and I didn't want to ruin it for him. I, I felt it was important for him to feel like he was doing it on himself. And I remember saying to him something along the lines of, well, you know what? Um, I'm so sorry that I couldn't help you, but well done you for stopping anyway.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And, th- and and that that's really, um, that's really goes to the heart of the ethical nature of self-efficacy. Because, you know, if you make it all about you and your magical skills and your, you know, um, magical wand, then in effect, you are, you know, through attribution, taking away their potential of, of experiencing more changes in in areas of their life that, uh, that that go beyond smoking, because as 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 we know, you know the the hypnosis and, and change work um, has implications beyond just remedial change, is you know generative change and and learning and and all of these other other things. So if people Kind of attributed to this magical one-time hypnotherapist, you know. There, then it may be good at some level for them to come back to you for other other issues. But in the end, it kills the uh, it kills the magic because the real magic is not in the techniques; it's not in the the efficacy of the practitioner, even. It's in the the, the individual's own mind. It's in the ability of the mind. To create that change with the right kind of prompting and with the right kind of thing. So I always say, you know, there's always this um, mindset, especially with NLP practitioners or hypnotherapists, that we have to blow up the client's mind in the mm-hmm. first um, first session. And and there's a lot of really great uh, reasons to use convincers and 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 uh, that that kind of work. But must never forget, I think, that it's the client that blows their own mind. Um, And so that kind of takes the pressure off of us.
0: Do you think, given that you and your experience is such that you've seen the power of these tools and techniques in a generative way, that there's actually an ethical responsibility to help people With more stuff than the stuff that they first approach you with. So if they come and say, well, hey, guess what? I've got issue X, Y, Z and you know, it's in their best interest for them to have a mindset that enables them to grow. Is it actually an ethical responsibility to to put that to them and to help them use it for those? Or is it literally simply just, Hey, guess what? You came in for this. So that's what you're going to get.
1: Uh, I think, I think it, I think it depends a little bit on where the practitioner's sort of um business model is <laughs> you know if it's if it's really remedial change and it's nail biting and you do a session around nail biting and that happens and they don't want anything more than that then that's your that's that's your job it's like a gardener coming to you know sweep the sweep the floor or or you know or or um trim the bushes and and that's it they don't try and sell you then on the pool cleaning service and then, um, but you can have those conversations. Um, one of the things that I, you know, I do offer single session and tr- treatment, uh, mm-hmm. single treatments. Um, but if a client has a particular presenting issue that I think that will take, you know, three sessions, I will say that I would say this. This may take up to three sessions. So um, one of the things that I'm going to do is have you, you know, commit to. You're doing three sessions with me. And and oftentimes, you know, we'll see a shift within the first couple of sessions. And that last session is really either used for integration or learning skills or working on some other issue. and And often there's much more value delivered working in that way. I really do believe that.
0: So just changing track uh, for a moment, you mentioned in the rapid-fire round that one book that you would recommend reading a hundred times um, would have been Monsters and Magical Sticks by Stephen Heller, um, and it really is it's a fantastic book, and for those of uh, people who haven't read it or aren't aware, um, I recently released, to mark a year of the podcast going out, the ultimate uh, change workers reading list, dot, 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 so far. And that was, I think, one of the number one books uh, that keeps being recommended and popping up. So certainly go and grab yourself a copy and read it if you haven't already. Um, but Ryan, are there any other books that come to mind as being ones that, you know, you recommend people should go out and read? and
1: uh, s- Certainly. Um, well, I, I I do think that the um, it's a little bit, you know, dense, but I do think that some of the, the early NLP books. So uh, Frogs to Princes is is a good under it's good to get a, that sort of understanding of the of the NLP, you know that's one of the things. I think integrative hypnosis. Uh, Melissa Tears, That's an amazing book. That's a wonderful book. And that's really one of the when it comes to change work and understanding some of the things that come to you know, sort of the meta pattern and things like that Um, that you know that her friend and mentor, John Overdorf uh, teaches, those are very, very useful um, things. The meta pattern is one of those um, patterns that you will see time and time and time and time again in all types of, many types of effective change work. Um, I, one book that I, I, I really recommend, and you know, it's one of those books that I could read um, and should read again um, is "Reality is Plastic," uh, Anthony jacklin's book, um, which is which is excellent, um, which goes in you know obviously performance hypnosis, but many of the same principles that that we talk about in in therapy, you know, all those same principles are there. And so that, those are really really recommended um, recommended reading. Um, also, other other books. Beyond simply hypnosis books, I think mm. I, I really do believe that um, beyond NLP and hypnosis, there are other modalities that will be very, very useful in understanding and and that are very, very useful. Um, and so, understanding mindfulness. Understanding. Um, there's a book that I'm reading now. Actually, um, it's "Altered Traits." Uh, Daniel Goldman, Richard Davidson, and it's about it's it's about the the research that is being done on mindfulness and a lot of the great techniques that come through uh, traditional Buddhist meditation meditation techniques that have some really solid evidence base. that are mm-hmm. really good things. For us as practitioners to understand, to and to perhaps begin using and to perhaps begin implementing, because they really have been used and utilized in cognitive therapy, in, um, in acceptance-based and uh, acceptance and commitment therapy, and lots of really solid, solid evidence behind behind this work. So um, that's a, that's another thing that, that I, I believe in.
0: Well, obviously, we're going to put all the links to, to the recommendations and references underneath your episode um, so that people can find it easy to get hold of some of this stuff uh, as well. Um, I am curious, given that, uh, obviously, you mentioned that you've been trained uh, and done uh, gone through the training with Adam Eason, but also you've mentioned some other influences. Um, what's your take on... The unconscious or the conscious? Uh,
1: the unconscious and conscious mind. Well, that that is that is really, really great question. And, you know, Adam Eason quite famously is one of those practitioners that did a complete about-turn um, in his own understanding of this. And so, you know, my own take on it is... Grinder uh, says um, something like, you know, the unconscious or using the word unconscious is simply a lever on the flow of experience, and so it's a way of describing a particular sort of pragmatism, let's say. Um, but I do believe in the adaptive unconscious uh, as described by modern cognitive science, and you know that's very that's very clearly demonstrated. I mean, we have a mind. And a lot of those processes most are out of our conscious awareness. Um, but the Freudian sort of conceptualization, or the or the way that in that in Eriksonian styles that it's conceptualized as you have an unconscious that is listening and that is always aware and that is this um, all-knowing, all. All loving being that is simply once your best interest, I and mean, that, that, that just doesn't, um, it doesn't really ring 100% true with me. There are aspects of it that, that certainly, certainly seem to work that way, but it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't hold water.
0: So you wouldn't necessarily be able to answer the question, what color and style is the beard that your unconscious has? <laughs>
1: course it's it's white
0: of course <laughs> and long and flowing
1: <laughs> yes yeah yeah and he sits on a throne and judges people on sunday absolutely, um,
0: absolutely. And, um,
1: uh, yeah i i i think it's i think we're still learning um about this i mean i one of the things that that one of the experiences that i had um you know i'm after doing my first long meditation retreat, so 10 days silent Vipassana retreat, which is um, quite an intensive experience and is recommended. You know, I think it's one of those things um, that really, as far as CPD, as far as uh, professional development, really was one of the greatest things that I ever did for myself um, because it really got me in touch with the visceral direct experience of my inner processes and allowed me to really understand how things like submodalities, um, how altered states and traits, um, and, and, um, and those things showed up experientially. So I could see unconscious processing. you know, after a, a couple of days, I could see experience directly all of this unconscious processing that was going on beyond you know right there seemingly beyond my conscious awareness and i could see some of that stuff bubbling bubbling up and so when i say bubbling up i i, I use that almost hydraulic nature of of uh you know that's that kind of used to describe the unconscious mind but you know for all intents and purposes that's the way it That's the way it shows up. So, you know, whether it bubbles up or comes through or is down there, that's the way it appears. So um, that's how those are the words that we use to describe it. I don't think it's always helpful to use um, to use that unconscious, conscious uh, split. And and I often don't even use those words with a client. I just Mm -hmm. say, you know you're doing certain things uh, that you're not aware of, um, that it's showing up without your conscious volition. and, And that's the part of your being, your mind that we're working with. And, you know, in the field of interpersonal neurobiology, which is the kind of field that has crept up around mindfulness, psychology, and people like Daniel Siegel, And people that are really, really in the the field of mindfulness and talk about, you know, struggle, struggle to define mind when they got all these practitioners together and they say, so what is a mind? And, you know, you have had had a billion different uh, definitions of what mind was, let alone the unconscious mind. And and so their definition definition was really something like, a, you know, exchange and information flow, so information that's flowing, energy and information flow, that's it. And so the flow of energy and information. Okay, so that doesn't, you know, that doesn't describe an unconscious or an unconscious, it, it just describes processes that are occurring moment to moment, and that is really what it seems like to me. It seems like um, there are processes that are occurring and those processes can be affected through uh, types of change work that you know, an NLP practitioner or a, a hypnotherapist or a cognitive hypnotherapist or a cognitive therapist um, may, may implement. And then you know there are states and traits that that inform a person's ability to really make those lasting. So that's that that's and so to to go into uh, unconscious and unconscious dissociation um, it's that's not really useful all the time.
0: Ryan, if, if people are listening uh, to this and they want to get in touch with you and find out more about the work you do where can they go how can they get in touch So
1: my my website is hypnotherapyinbarcelona.com Um I did it for the for the uh, search engine optimization <laughs> that's For sure where I, where I where I work um and that's my that's my home base um I work here in Barcelona I work online as well uh, I have a, a large to send to my clients um, now online working through through uh, zoom or skype um, and i do you know i i enjoy um and i also have a have a uh, facebook page if you're interested in staying in touch
0: fantastic well we're going to put the links underneath the episode guide and really the, the, the final question i often ask this um is when you we talked about you coming on the rapid change podcast is there anything that you kind of wanted to share wanted to bring up thought it'd be useful to to talk about but that I just haven't asked directly
1: one of the one of the things that um, I think it's really important to understand uh, is that this field is ongoing that it's something that requires introspection and questioning of sacred cows and Things that we uh, we once thought were set in stone and that are absolutely you know gospel um, deserve closer investigation and because uh, as we know you know rapid change is possible um, and rapid change in situations where in the past people thought it were was impossible happens and we've seen it and we see it time and time again and. For more mainstream uh, therapies, for mainstream psychotherapy to accept or to integrate some of these learnings, um, it's really important for us to, as as practitioners, as uh, as therapists, and as as individuals, to really question those beliefs that we hold dear about um, about psychology and indeed about ourselves and our own our own evolution as, as therapists as individual
0: well i you know i i have enjoyed getting to know you and connecting with you as part of this process um and i really enjoyed um listening to the way in which you think and the way in which you approach change and you know i hope lots of uh, of our listeners have enjoyed it as much as i have and um thank you so much for, for spending some time with us uh, today and sharing your thoughts
1: i really appreciate it howard thanks for thanks for getting in touch
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested and even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapid change matters hyphen podcast. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those upcoming live events that will help you hone those change work skills.